Trigger warning, the following podcast episode discusses the Columbine shooting, including sensitive topics related to violence, trauma, and loss. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Confessions of Ignorance. I'm Emily. And I'm Kirsten. And Emily, today we're interviewing Will Beck, who is a Columbine survivor. Do you know much about Columbine? I'm just curious because you were pretty young. Yeah, what I remember, I don't remember it happening. I think it was 1999, Correct. right? Yeah. What I remember in high school is we had an assembly all about the Columbine shooting. We watched a documentary about it. And that was really my first exposure to the shooting. What I do know it was is it was one of the very first. Is that right? Yeah. It, what I learned is it wasn't the first, but it was the first at like this um, scale. Like the other, there had been school shootings before, but it was like kind of like a one-off, like one person and maybe there was one casualty, but this yeah, was just still so sad, still, yes. but it maybe didn't make as much like national attention as this did. Yes, exactly. So yes, you're correct. And that it was really the, the most like the first well-known school shooting. And it's, very tragic, but my hope is that we can come away from this learning something and also kind of see how you can get through something that's hard. And I think that's what Will's going to help us do today. So I'm excited. Yes, me too. And because it is such a different episode, we're just going to go ahead and take out the fun little segments we like to do, the Marco Polo segment, all the fun questions, and just really get into it and learn from Will. Yep, let's do it. All right, well, we're so happy to have you here. We're gonna do this podcast slightly differently than normal. Normally, it's a lot of, we ask questions, you answer. I thought it would be interesting to read through some of the events because as Emily and I were talking, we actually didn't know that much about Columbine. Very general things, but not very many specifics. And because this is a podcast where we like to learn, we like to share information, we thought it would be appropriate to read through some of the events. So I'm going to do some reading and then we'll ask questions as we go. Yeah, before we do get into it, though, we just want to emphasize that, yes, Will, you are a Columbine survivor, but that's not all that you are. Can you just let our listeners get like a peek into your life, a little bit more about you? Yeah, totally. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I would say if if you were to define who I am, uh, I'm a dad. You know, I've got four kids. I've got a 16-year-old daughter, a 14-year-old son, a 12-year-old daughter, and we actually just had a, we have a six-month-old baby, you know, all with the same gal, you know, so Mm -hmm. people think, oh, 12-year gap must be somebody different, but Nope. (laughs) Good for you. Yeah, I know. And so I'm a dad, I'm a husband. And then, you know, I I have a financial planning practice. And uh, I also am an entrepreneur. I I work with a couple other companies, Pillow Cube and Cold Case Ice Cream and Stair Slide are a few of the companies I own. Um, And so, yeah, I like to do a lot of things. But uh, most important to me is family. And our family is a basketball family. And so I spend my nights and days and gyms so so you stay busy absolutely busy yeah well that's great we're so happy that you're here um i know this is kind of like a hard topic and we appreciate that you're willing to come here and kind of step back in time a little bit and revisit some of this and we want you to be very open and just talk about um the events as they happened so let's set the stage this is happening april 20th 1999 Mm-hmm. Um, can you describe what you were doing on that day? Yeah. I mean, I went to school and thought I was going to have a normal school day. Uh, and when I say normal, I, I had actually four tests scheduled for the day. So I was a little bit stressed out. I had a track meet though for that day. So I was kind of excited for my track meet and, you know, I had a few things going on, but it was just, it was a normal day. How old were you? What grade were you in? 15. 
Okay. Sophomore. So, yeah, sophomore. Wow, that feels mm-hmm. so young because I have a 14 year old. So that's like kind of crazy to me. Well, I have a junior, you know, yeah. and to me, she's a baby, you know, and it's like, actually, she's bigger yeah. than I think she is. Yeah. You I feel guess. grown up when you're at that age. Oh but, my gosh. Yeah. I can't imagine. Okay. So. At 11.19 a.m., I'm going to just kind of read through what what happened right as it started. Uh, 17-year-old Rachel Scott and her friend Richard Castaldo were having lunch and sitting on the grass next to the west entrance of the school. A pipe bomb was thrown in their direction and only partially detonated. Rachel and Richard thought it was a senior prank. So, Will, at 11.19 a.m., when this was all happening, what were you doing? I uh, was sitting down and having lunch. I, we ate like on the ground, just outside of the school. And I was probably just giving one of my friends a hard time and joking around and normal, you know. Just being a 15-year-old kid. Punk, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think it's very interesting in a lot of my research, there were so many accounts of people who said, they just assumed it was a senior prank. So I, I, I mean, now these days, if you mm-hmm. heard a bomb go off or anything, like any loud noise, any loud noise, you would instantly, your, your mind would instantly go to a worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. So, uh, tell us why you feel like that was in people's minds that, Oh, this is fine. This is nothing to be nervous about. This is actually something that could be fun. This is a school prank. Yeah. So a bomb hadn't gone off when I thought it was a senior prank. I, I heard gunshots that I was not a hunter. I, my family did not own a gun. So for us, it was, ooh, that's fireworks. That sounds like fireworks. We did fireworks, you know. And uh, every April, there were senior pranks. Just little things that the seniors did, kind of like have fun, funny little send-off. And I thought, oh, this has to be a senior prank. I was totally convinced it was. And so I got up right away to see what was happening, you know. It was you ran to the scene. So I was on the scene. Okay. Um, but there's like a, a hill that's just kind of like a little bit around this corner. And so if you were to like draw a line from me to where the shooters were at, it's just barely like I would have to like take it like a couple steps to the left to see where they were mm. at. And so when it happened, I just kind of got up and like moved over a little bit and they were there, you know. And, and when you say they were there, like, what did you witness? What did you see? Yeah, I mean, one of the most stark uh, memories for me is seeing, like, the clods of dirt flying off the ground from the bullets. And it's just like a still image that I have. And then I, I remember seeing their face. And I have, a, like, a, seeing them have a smile on their face. Is like one that like the is shooters. etched into my soul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And was that the point you knew, okay, this is different? Um, there was a part of me that thought it was paintball for a minute. And uh, then uh, Sean like fell uh, and started screaming. And that's when I was like, yo, this is real, mm. you know? So, yeah, and and to that point, I'll read kind of what you're talking about. So after this is initially happening, a witness reported hearing go, go before the shooters pulled their guns from beneath their trench coats and began shooting. At this point, the two allegedly returned to where Rachel and Richard lay on the ground injured. Rachel was killed instantly when she was hit four times and Richard was shot eight times in the chest, arm and abdomen. They then moved to the staircase where they aimed their guns in the direction of three students. Daniel Rohrbaugh, 
Sean Graves, and Lance Kirkland. The students presumed they were paintball guns, which is what your account said as well, and were about to walk up the staircase directly below the shooters. Ten shots were fired, killing Daniel and injuring Sean and Lance. William Sanders, a teacher and coach at the school, was in the cafeteria when he heard the gunfire and began warning students. So you you were kind of there when all this was happening. 100%, yeah. And where were you at the school, in the school? So it's outside the school, right? So there's mm-hmm. this outdoor stairway. So, you know, uh, Rachel and Richard are up at the top of the stairway. And when you go up the stairs, you just take a right. They're sitting on the ground having their lunch up there. We're down the stairs, take a left, and we're just sitting there. So we're almost in the exact same spot, just on opposite sides of the stairs. And uh, I could hear the gunshots when they were, like those initial things where I'm like, oh, that's firecrackers. Mm-hmm. That was them being shot, you know? Oh and it took gosh. me actually like 15 years to be like, that thing I thought was a senior prank was really them dying, mm-hmm. or, you know, or her dying and Richard being shot. And it was a somber thing for me. Like, oh man, think about that. But I, they came down the stairs. And so when I saw them for the first time and I the, saw the, the shooters, saw the shooters for the first time and I saw Sean, drop to his knees and start screaming. Um, I was just there and I was like, oh my gosh, what do we do? Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a door just um, to my right and I ran into that door. Did you know Sean, Lance and Daniel very well? I did not. Um, they were a grade younger than me. I saw them, you know, they were had the same lunch period as me, and they walked by there pretty much every day. Like we all had our lunch routines, and mm-hmm. um, so it was not uncommon to see them. Yeah, but. and I I also think that um, it is it's interesting now that you say that you kind of remember things. Like it's taking you a few years to even really register. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that if you, as you've talked to other survivors, there's similar experiences for them as well, that they, they kind of remember it in a way, but it's still fuzzy. And as you, as you get older and the years go on, things start to clear up a little bit. You know, some things make more sense years later and some things get fuzzy, you know, like if you were to tell me like two days after the shooting, like I could take you like step by step through mm-hmm. every single thing and like almost see the video in my head and now it's kind of more like still images but there's just some feelings and some thoughts that I have that have maybe like clarified over time but mm-hmm. th- my memories of the shooting like the actual things that happened were clearest you know yeah in those moments the, the events that transpired okay so now the shooters then turn west and fired seven shots in the direct direction of five students sitting on the grassy hillside adjacent to the steps and opposite the west entrance of the school michael johnson was hit in the face leg and arm but ran and escaped mark taylor was shot in the chest arms and leg and fell to the ground where he faked death the other three escaped uninjured as this was happening sean paralyzed beneath the waist had crawled into the doorway of the cafeteria's west entrance and collapsed he rubbed his blood on his face and played dead so where did you initially go as you realized what was happening yeah you said you went into a doorway yeah looking back at it, i'm probably like the idiot who's you know walking by sean as he's been shot and just going into the door without him um but i went into that same door um Mr. Sanders was in that area 
that I walked in and so I saw him and I told him the shooting was going on. When I got into the cafeteria, no one was aware that the shooting was happening. Um, so even though there were gunshots outside, people didn't hear them. This cafeteria was just loud. loud. Yeah. Yeah. 500 kids in there eating, talking, laughing. I had a buddy of mine that was, you know, just got his lunch from the, you know, school lunch line. And he's getting ready to walk out the door that I just came in. And I'm trying to stop him from going out. And he's like, stop BSing me. Like, you're lying. It's not happening. I'm like, no, there's really a shooting. He's like, whatever, dude. And I just had to take his lunch and like throw it, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, I believe you, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, that's what happened. I, from that point on, then went and hid in a bathroom. There's a bathroom behind the uh, cafeteria area that not a lot of people go to. So I thought it would be like a safe place for me to just hide and wait for the shooting to be over. Did you have other people with you or were you by yourself? There was a a group of three or four of us. And so we went into the bathroom stall and we're like, Hey, let's just stand on the toilet. And then they won't see us if they come in here. We're just hoping like, okay, they're probably not going to come in here. There's like 500 kids out there. Like Mm -hmm. we're, we're safe here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we thought the cops would be there in like five minutes, you know, and it was not quick at all, mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah. And then you, so you're in that bathroom and then did you stay there the whole time? No. Um, so when I was in there, um, I did take a minute to pray and I was just sitting on that toilet and just begging God, like, help me get out of here. And, uh, like in the middle of my prayer is when a bomb went off and I can feel that bomb still like shake the walls of the stall. And I was just like, Oh my goodness, terrified. And then I just had a voice that was like, get out. And it was so clear to me that it was like, I need to get out of here. And, uh, I was like, guys, let's get out of here. Like we can't, we can't hide here. And then when we um, walked out of the bathroom, I always say that these are the scariest footsteps of my life because I felt like I was supposed to go there, but I didn't know what was outside those doors. And the moment that we left the bathroom, I saw my um, choir teacher from when I was in sixth grade. He now taught at the high school. And he's like, hey, come through here. And there was these doors I'd never been through that were in the, uh, the back door to the stage. And so he kind of led us onto the stage and then all of a sudden he was like gone, never saw him. Mm. And we were just in the auditorium and we're like, what do we do here? And so he kind of like, like walking up the auditorium stairs slowly to be like, you know, is somebody here or whatever? And so we go up to, through the auditorium and we like poke our heads out and we can hear gunfire. Uh, down the hall but it was like a ways down and so we ran across the hall and then we eventually ran out down out the school and uh, we actually sat outside the school for a couple minutes so like where do we go like we're safe Mm -hmm. and there you know we find out that there's two shooters afterwards but I wasn't sure that there wasn't 20 when it was happening so I was just scared that no matter where we went that we were going to potentially run into somebody yeah Mm -hmm. So then did you eventually leave though? Yeah. So we we were there for a minute and we like ran to like the edge of the school boundaries. There's like a fence right there. And we just kind of waited at that fence for a while. 
And uh, there is like the group became from like four of us to like 15, 20 kids out there. And then uh, we just kind of sat there for a minute. Like, where should we go? And I was like, hey, there's an apartment complex over there. Like, let's go there. We can like use a phone, call our parents. And so we just like, it was like a race to that apartment complex. Yeah. And, and so I full sprint, you know. At this point, were the cops still not there? No. Mm-mm. Still no sight of them. Mm-hmm. Um, did you, was there anything like, did you guys have any, um, protocol? Like, I know you were like, should we go? Where should we go? What should we do? Should we go to the bathroom? Should we go outside? Was there any protocol for what to do in this type of situation? No, I hadn't even been considered, you know, certainly not vocalized to us. Like, Hey, here's what you do in the event of a school shooting. You know, like there were a couple other school shootings before us. There was one in Oregon the year prior and we just never thought it would ever happen to us and it wasn't a thing like it is now i feel like and it's a sad legacy for columbine to have is that i think those shooters did inspire the idea of school shootings for a lot of people and one of the negative kind of media narratives that happened afterwards is that columbine happened because these kids were bullied and they had no friends, and they were just picked on every day of their high school career, and people harassed them constantly, and they finally were paying it back. Mm. And that isn't true. Like, these guys had lots of friends. Two days before this, they were at prom with girls and their whole large group of friends. And then they did this to their friends, you know? Yeah. And so it wasn't that they were bullied, but the media, the media kind of painted that picture and then there are people who do feel bullied and ostracized and in some way kind of feel like maybe I should do that too, you know? And so there's a portion of people that are on the internet that are inspired by them. Yeah. That yeah. was the belief that I had always had mm-hmm. uh, was that they were kind of bullied. So that's a really interesting thing that I didn't even realize till just now you saying that. Yeah. I, when the research that I did, it, it sounded like they came from good families. Like they did have friends, you know, they had actually bright futures, like, um, I do think there was some mental health that played a part. Yeah. So one of them, and I don't mention names because mm-hmm. I don't want their legacy to like live on. I don't want them to have mm-hmm. attention they don't deserve. But I, uh, one of them was just a, a total sociopath. He didn't have any consideration for people's feelings. Uh, if you look at his journals, he just wanted to kill kill as many people as he possibly could. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. when you get somebody like that, like, that's like a pretty rare thing. Like those people become serial killers. They're just there to like destroy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's why Columbine happened. It wasn't cause somebody hurt somebody's feelings. How well did you know them beforehand? Like you saying this person was a sociopath. Was there any indication of that? That's beforehand? not, yeah, that's not based on me knowing him now. It's based on the aftermath. Well, mm-hmm. you, I was researching that one of the indications of like a person with psychotic tendencies is the complete lack of empathy. Mm-hmm. And that's what you describe that they just don't have like that innate empathy that we have that so many of us have for people. It is completely missing. So it does help you to understand why that they could do this with, with no thought of Mm -hmm. what they were doing, which is horrible and so sad, but it, it, I I don't think it was so much the bullying is what you were saying as, as much as it was who they were and some of the things they were struggling with. Yeah. I mean, one was total, like I said, total sociopath, psychopath, like just not there. And then I think the other one was a depressed person that was 
moved and inspired by his peer, you know, a little bit more of a follower. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, so at this point you are safe. You've contacted your family. By the way, what did your parents say? Like, did you call them immediately? Were they freaking out? Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things that you never expect, you know, especially back then where it's like, no way, not possible, Mm -hmm. you know? And so my mom was stunned, but she was also like immediately like, I'll be there in two minutes, Mm -hmm. you know? So she just like zipped over and it's not far from my house, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And so she came and picked me up and then the attention, at least for us personally, was like, where is your sister? Was she there? Your sister was there as well. Yeah. I didn't didn't realize that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Were you, cause you probably had no idea. To, you couldn't answer that question. No, no cell phone. Yeah. She's older or younger than you? Uh, older sister. She's a year older than me. And so she was um, in the cafeteria eating lunch. And so Mr. Sanders had started like kind of yelling at everybody like, hey, get out of here. Get out, you know. And so um, she evacuated from the cafeteria. She ran to a classroom or to a hallway over in, the, like, the foreign language hall, which is, like, still on that lower level. And so she ran in there, and then um, eventually was like, hey, let's... Because people kind of moved, and they're like, where do we go? What do yeah. we do, you know? Yeah. And so she ran down to um, a home in... The, that's, like, the first... The closest home to the school, basically, on that side of the street. And that was being used as a... Um, uh, seminary building for the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints where they had like classes but it was it looked like a normal home but they had like kind of like a classroom set up built into it and so yeah she ran down there along with another 120 kids or so and so that house was like absolutely packed with kids that knew hey this is a safe place we can go there and they'll help us out and at Mm -hmm. what point did you realize okay she is safe and were you able to make contact with her yeah, um, she finally was able to get a hold of us maybe an hour, hour and a half later, something like that. And so there was a lot of, you know, trying to call people. And, you know, the technology at the time was we're going to have two different gathering places. One was the local public library and one is the um, a local elementary school. And when people are safe at either spot, we're going to call over to the other place and they'll write their name down on a list that they're safe. And every once in a while, a call would come through and there'd be like names on a list like, oh, look, this person's safe. This, you know, so you just look at a list, a physical list that people are writing down on. Wow. Um, so, so different you, than it is today. You just yeah. sit at, like, we're just going to sit just at this waiting. library waiting for people to gather here. And then eventually they closed down that spot and then they moved everybody to the local elementary school, which is Leewood Elementary. And so we just sat there waiting, hoping to see people, you know. And then you eventually, that's how you figured out your sister was okay. So we, we actually, my mom had a cell phone. My sister did not, but they, you know, had a home phone there at the uh, seminary building. And so they just... Every kid got a chance to kind of call, but cell phones were like the lines were so overwhelmed. There wasn't bandwidth for everybody to be able to call through. So they'd be like, this call cannot be connected oh, right now. How frustrating. And so it just took forever for it to get through. And so finally she got her turn in line and was able to get through. And Oh my gosh. And were you so relieved? 
Yeah, yeah. so really. I'm sure. I mean, if I said no, I'd yeah. be like the worst brother. <laughs> like a redundant ever. question, but um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so you mentioned the cafeteria was a big. Um, kind of point of this story i'm going to read the account so inside the school cafeteria dave sanders and two custodians john curtis and mm-hmm. jay gallantine initially told students to get under the tables mm-hmm. then successfully evacuated students up the staircase leading to the second floor of the school the stairs were located around the corner from the library hallway in the main south hallway at the end of that hallway were the shooters who were taking active shots at dave sanders Um, who was one of the adults to help evacuate the kids. He was fatally wounded and later would die from blood loss. And you said that Dave was one of your teachers. You had talked to him when you heard the shots go off. Is that right? Yeah, so he taught uh, my freshman year. I took a business class from him and a keyboarding class from him. Uh, I, I loved having him as a teacher. He was somebody that inspired me. It's a It's a small thing to me, but... I uh, I was cut from the basketball team my freshman year, and when I was cut, he was really inspirational. It was inspirational to me. And this is a, a story that's like part of who I am and part of my family identity. Is that when I was cut, um, he was like, "Hey, you should talk to uh, the coaches and see if they can you can like practice with the team still and be like a manager for them." And just kind of like work with the team still, but not playing games. And I was like, "Okay." I, I want to do this. And uh, that, like, changed my life because I ended up having a good basketball career. And, like, basketball is a huge part of my life. And, like, that story of, like, being cut and not being good enough, but then, like, sticking through it and, like, working and, like, showing that, hey, I wasn't going to quit, like, it's part of who I am. And that was, like, inspired a lot by him. And so uh, he is inspirational to me. Uh, and he was just like, before he died, he was, you know, he was like my track coach and I thought he was just a fun, awesome role model of a guy. And then, uh, you know, I, the previous year there was a shooting in Oregon and I, he turned it on during our keyboarding class. And so we had talked about it and it was just ironic that he was like, oh, that could never happen here. And mm-hmm. I'm like, wow. And then he's like the first teacher that I see when I run into the school. And so he did. He was like yelling at people to get on tables and get out of there. And then he ran upstairs to start telling more people in the school what was going on. And he took a right and went around the corner towards the library. And that's where those shooters were at, you know. And so he kind of ran right into him and they shot him. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm, I love that you can keep a part of his legacy alive mm-hmm. through yeah. having learned that lesson from him of when, you know, when life doesn't turn out how you think doesn't mean mm-hmm. just quit. You know, you're keeping his legacy alive by mm-hmm. that lesson that you learned. Yeah. Yep. And he's a basketball guy. Like we would go in and I, I remember having a conversation with him about like specific basketball players that I thought would be good on certain teams in the NBA and like the draft and things that were going on. And um, it was just, he was a basketball guy. He coached the girls' team at the high school. And so it was just, I felt like a, just a bond with him. And so, like, yeah, he is, like, you know, oh, man, it's 25 years later, and he's just still a huge, you know, has so much impact yeah. on my life. I love that. 
as an adult now with a job and a family of your own, how do you perceive the actions of the adults in the school who risk their lives to protect the students? Again, they didn't really have protocol. Mm -hmm. They were just going off of instinct. Yeah, those custodians, I think, are incredible. And I've seen like just little video clips of them immediately jumping into action when they recognized that something was going on. And I was just so grateful for them, proud of them, loved them. Because like, they're not in a situation where anybody looks at them with this like great respect you know but like when we needed people the most they were absolutely there for us and so like tremendous amount of love and i just hope the best things for them that you know that their lives turned out amazing i have i've not talked to them or anything forever you know but mm -hmm. yeah i am so proud of them and you know i think every teacher tried to do their best there was some situations in the library where i felt like teachers maybe could have done more to prevent that situation and, and I think that's heartbreaking to me you know those kids were told to like instead of evacuate to like hide under the tables in the library and there's no cover under those tables and then the teacher turned and like hid in like this other place where she was able to get a lot of cover and, um so I I, mm -hmm. I think that's the one scenario where I'm like oh, that's really disappointing but by and large these teachers who are not signed up to be bodyguards you know they were doing everything they could to save us yeah well and that's that's the hard part i mean to no nobody's at fault for this besides the shooters and they're you know they're dead and some people are looking for people to blame and it's just hard because they're like you said no protocols nobody knows what to do everybody's kind of just trying to do their best but i think the important part is looking at it after the fact and realizing what can we learn from this you know ways that we can prevent this from happening in the future and if it does happen what measures can be taken and do you being a victim of this do you have any insight into that of your own opinion measures that can prevent help prevent or protocols that should be taken yeah i mean it's kind of a funny thing because a lot of times people want to how can we legislate and make laws that prevent these things from happening and I think these things are less about like what the government can do or stop people from doing it. It's like, how can we develop more good humans? You know, and I think we can develop more good humans by teaching them to be kind, teaching them to love others and like spending time with them. You know, I think when kids don't feel like they get enough attention from their parents, they tend to act out. And so what are we doing as parents that our kids are feeling like they're not getting enough attention? And I, I think in almost every single scenario where I've seen with a school shooter, there are kids that are not getting appropriate attention from their parents. Mm -hmm. um, and their parents don't know what's going on in their lives. And so I think the biggest key is really good homes where the parents are like spending time with their kids. You know, like this would never happen with my kids because they are getting attention and they're getting loved on and they like feel their own self-worth and their value and i think that if everyone was parenting like that like this whole problem would go away but you can't legislate like oh be a good dad you have yeah. to or you're going to jail mm -hmm. you know yeah so and it starts in the home yeah and when you do have that self-love you then want to make other people feel loved and so you're i do think that yeah exactly mm -hmm. So we mentioned the library, and um, I'm going to read kind of that account. So meanwhile, art teacher Patty Nielsen was inside the school. She had noticed the commotion and walked towards the west entrance with student Brian Anderson. Nielsen had intended to walk outside to tell the, 
two students to knock it off, thinking they were either filming a video or pulling a student prank. As Brian opened the first set of double doors, the gunman shot out the windows, injuring him with the flying glass. Patty was hit in the shoulder with shrapnel. Both Patty and Brian ran back down the hall into the library and alerted the students inside to the danger, telling them to get under desks and keep silent. She dialed 911 and hid under the library's administrative counter. So I wanted to play that clip. I think just even hearing the fear in her voice, I'm assuming this is the fear that everybody was feeling at this time. It makes it feel um, a little more real. I'm in the library. He's upstairs. He's right outside of here. He's outside? He's outside of this hall. Outside of a hall? Outside of the hall. Okay. There are alarms and things going off now. Smoke. My God, smoke is like coming into this room. Okay. Okay. I've got the kids under the table here. I don't know what's happening in the rest okay. of the building. Also, that smoking building. I don't know. I'm sure someone has to be calling 911. Yes, we got a lot of people on. Okay. I just want you to stay in the line with me. We need to know what's going on. Okay. Okay. I am on the floor. Okay. And you've okay. got the kids in the there. Library. And I've got every student in this library on the floor. You better stay on the floor. Is there any way you can lock the doors? Um, smoke is coming in from out there, and I'm a little okay. afraid. The gun is right outside the library door, okay? I don't think I'm going to go out there. Okay, okay. you're okay. all in my high school. I got, I got three children. Okay, we got it. Okay. Okay, um, kind of hard to listen to, but yeah. I think it's important to be able to set the context for really what was going on there mm. and, and what was happening. Those shots were probably Mr. Sanders. Yeah. That's like what I think when I hear the shots at the end. Yeah. The first shots that you hear, I, I assume you're right. Cause he was shot right outside those doors and mm -hmm. it was like, as they were coming in. Yeah. It's, it is really hard when you hear it. And I think that's, what's been eye opening for me doing this podcast is you hear about a story and it feels like it's not real. And then when you talk to the people who experienced it and you really do the research and you listen, it feels very, very real. And it was, and that's what I appreciate about you coming on. It just really helps to shed light on something. I think a lot of people don't truly understand. And I like too, that you mentioned that you don't like to um, give clout to the shooters and name names. The important part to me is focusing on those who did lo lose their lives mm -hmm. and also those who risked their lives and focusing on keeping their legacy alive and how can we do that moving forward. Correct, yeah. Um, so unfortunately, the library was, it was a very tragic point of this story and it is kind of where it comes to an end. At 11.29 a.m., both shooters entered the library. 52 students, two, two teachers, and two librarians were inside. Ten people eventually were shot and killed. This number does not include the gunmen who also took their own lives inside the library. So, Will, did you know anybody who ended up dying in the library that day? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, probably... Oh, uh, You know, uh, Dan Mauser passed away in the library. Um, and then uh, Isaiah Scholes passed away in the library. And Erin uh, Fleming passed away in the library. I, I worked with her sister. And um, I feel like a terrible friend, but there's another guy in there. I'm trying to remember his name. But yeah, I, I knew a few people that were in there. And you, like, looking back when you heard that those people had passed, did you, like, what were the feelings that you had? Because these were, I mean, some of them friends of yours. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I mean, you just can't even imagine the total, like, heartbreak and brokenness of, like, your whole world's just, like, 
snow globed, you know, just like shaken up and destroyed. And all of a sudden you're going to funerals multiple a day for a couple of weeks, you know, and just like what's going on, you know, and trying to visit people in the hospital and trying to just find out, you know, there, one thing that was really strange is that we didn't know who died for two days, you know, because oh. um, those bodies were in the school and they were like kind of doing whatever their investigation process is. And they're not just like, oh, we found one here, you know, release it. It's like they waited for a long time and we were trying to find out who of our friends was alive and not alive. And so we're calling people and asking, hey, have you heard who's been shot? Have you heard this person, this person, you know? And so um, we were just so incredibly distraught. Yeah, and as the only feelings I can even imagine, I mean, I'm sure it doesn't even give that justice. So eventually the police did show up, and that was by around 12 p.m. Yeah, I'll just share really quick. By 12 o'clock, so this whole account was less than an hour, which kind of blows yeah, my mind. Yeah, totally. They, they did a lot of damage in yeah. a short amount of time. And I think they even planned on more, because I, I read that there were some bombs that never actually detonated. There were some... Uh, like propane tank bombs that they had in the cafeteria that didn't detonate. And their original intent was for them to blow up the school and then shoot people as they were coming out of the school. And so they had Um, each had a post. One was like in a certain area and one was in another spot. And they were just going to like try to kill everyone that came out and hopefully kill the whole school, you know, as their, their plan. And so when those bombs that were like timed to go off did not go off, they um, just decided, hey, let's go into the school. Interesting. So by 12 o'clock p.m., SWAT teams were stationed outside the school and ambulances started taking the wounded to local hospitals. A call for additional ammunition from police officers in case of a shootout came at 1220. Authorities reported pipe bombs by 1 o'clock and two SWAT teams entered the school at 109, moving from a classroom to classroom, discovering hidden student and faculty the next day, by 8.30 a.m., the official death toll of 15 was released. So now it's the next day. How, like, what does that look like to wake up the next day? I remember I slept on the couch um, in my basement. And I just, I fell asleep in my clothes from this day before. And I was just like, is it a dream? Mm-hmm. You know, no, this is real. Just kind of like, wow, this is my life. It was just, I don't know, as bad as bad as it gets when yeah. you wake up that day. Do you remember how the community reacted after and, and what they did after? Yeah, I mean, the community reacted well. I think the world acted pretty well. I mean, I think the world was so shocked by it that I felt an outpouring of love from people from all over the place. There was this park that was next to the school. It was called Clement Park. And it became like an impromptu memorial. Uh, One of the things that it started with is actually uh, Rachel, her car was parked at the park. A lot of people, they had like a paid parking area for the school. And then they had like a, well, if you wanted to just park for free, people parked at the park and then walked Mm. over. And so her car was over there. And that's one of the ways that people knew that she had passed uh, because she didn't take her car away. And so... um, People just started putting flowers and different things on her car, and it just became like covered in flowers. And 
then people just started setting up memorial and people started setting up crosses and different things in the park and uh people came from all over the state and then eventually all over the world i remember one of the things that was like weird is like the duchess of york or whatever came and it was like what okay <laughs> who um, are you, you know, but, <laughs> but it was yeah. so many people and yeah. there was a guy that i met who ended up kind of becoming a family friend he um his name was Dan Height, but he was like a bodyguard for a bunch of NBA players. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And like actors and actresses and stuff too. And, but he like had a bunch of like blankets and he's like, Hey, do you want a blanket? I brought this from my community Blank, blankets that people made for this, you know? And so he gave us a blanket and kind of just stayed in touch over time. And like, he sent me an autographed a uh, picture of like David Robinson, who was like a basketball player at the time who I thought was awesome. And he was a bodyguard for him. And so just like little random things like that were like, I felt like the world was like oh, feeling so bad for us, you know? And, and as a community too, like our parents wanted to lift us up. They wanted to do everything they could for us. They couldn't live our lives for us, but they wanted to like just lift us, you know? And I think they did a great job doing that. And the community was around us. I don't One of my, uh, best friends went to a local high school and like the moment he found out about it he like has his mom like run him over to my house and I just see him he hugs me and that 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 feeling of these people just feeling so terrible for us and wanting to just like make us feel better we could feel it all over the place and so the community was perfect to us you know and as a community of ourselves like as a school I think we were better to each other and wanted to lift each other up and still have a bit of you know, solidarity and unity for what we went through. Did you feel any resentment that like your high school experience was taken away from you? Like, did, did it feel like there was some form of like cloud that was over the rest of your time there? Yes and no. Yeah. I mean, like my high school experience had some bitter moments to it because of the shooting and there were bitter moments that happened later on that were like, just like, kind of follow up from the shooting like we had a, a kid on our basketball team that committed suicide and I think that it was linked to the shooting you know I think that had to have some impact on it he saw Mr. Sanders get sh you know not get shot but he was in that classroom with him where Mr. Sanders bled out for three hours and he was in there with him the whole time he helped move him into the classroom you know um, I think that you know definitely had an impact but you don't get to choose some of the events that happen to you in life. Mm -hmm. For us, like, we can only choose how we react to it. And I think that's mm -hmm. our, you know, thing in life is, like, whatever God gives us in our path, whatever the life presents us, how can we make the best of it and enjoy it? And, like, happiness, I do think, is a choice to a lot of extent of, you know, I have these things that happen that may not seem great, but I can still choose to find joy, you know, and you see people who are really wealthy that are, have all these great things and they're sad about it because they're focusing on comparison and, or I want more or whatever. And you can just say, Hey, this is what I have. Like, I'm going to appreciate the best things in my life. Cause there's, I don't think anybody who can look at their life and be like, well, I have nothing, you know, mm -hmm. um, there's things that they have that are like, Hey, I have my family, I have people that care about me and I'm going to focus on that. And there was still, like, after this, there was still, I assume, joy. Like, you guys had school dances, you had football games. Like, did life kind of get back to normal? Yeah, I mean, there's, like, normal, but then there is, like, a little bit of, like, oh, we remember what happened. Yeah. You know, um, I didn't play football at my high school, but um, our junior year, 
we were an underdog football team. Our school had never won a state football championship. And uh, every game seemed like a miracle. I remember there was a game we were down by 14 points. We came back in like two minutes left, two onside kicks. Like just all these things happened where it was like, okay, mm. if that wasn't God, like mm-hmm. winning a football game for somebody, I don't know what is. He's helping you guys out a little. Like you, it sounds like a joke, and but I'm like, no, I kind of totally 100% mm-hmm. believe it. And then we made it against, there's a school that in Colorado is like the biggest population school. There's like 3,500 kids in it. Every other school is like 2,000. And they're like the richest school. And everyone's like, oh, man, Cherry Creek is this big, you know, intimidating school. They win all the time. And we went in there. It's like the little engine that could, you know. And we came out of that game and we won. And like our student body, everybody's like so happy to have this moment. And then uh, one of the other kids in the library that passed away, Matt Kector, um, everybody got on the field and just started chanting MJK, MJK, and uh, Matthew J. Kector. And it was a beautiful moment that we could, like, celebrate and honor his memory. But at the same time, it was a little sad that we had to, like, think about that, too. You know, that, like, um, it was it was great that we won. And it, like, helped us feel this, like, peace and some normalcy. But everything is kind of stained by that. Everything probably that was sweet was bittersweet at the same time is kind of how you're describing it. And you mentioned you try and focus on the good that you have and the blessings that you have. Are there any other ways that your perspective on life has shifted because of this tragedy that happened? Yeah. And I've, I've talked about this before a few times, but I think friendships and relationships, family, those things are the most important things in your life. And I think that's like the source of all my joy now. Like I had a great night last night and it would be like, people be like, Oh, that doesn't seem like anything special at all. But like I went and watched my son play a basketball game. I went and watched my daughter play a basketball game. They played well. It was great. Like, and I just loved it. It was like, this beautiful, fun family focused night for me. Um, and I just had so much joy and you're like, well, I could do all kinds of like exotic trips or whatever. And, and that wouldn't bring that same, just kind of happy feeling that I like legitimate joy that I have. And, uh, after the shooting, I, I feel like just like my friends were my safe place, you know? And so just kind of learning to invest in people rather than things, you know, I think is a lesson that I carry with. And I think too, life is, you know, what you make it like life's going to knock you down. Uh, it knocks everybody down. There's nobody who is excluded from that, you know? And so you just have to decide, like, what am I made of? You know, am I going to keep going? Uh, what am I going to look for in life? And I think people oftentimes don't realize what they have to be grateful for. And so if you focus time, my, my dad is a big, like, you know, gratitude is the biggest indicator of happiness. He said that to me before, and I was just like, that's stuck with me. You know, if I just say, Hey, I'm thankful for this and thankful for that, I'm going to be happier. How do you, how do you have this conversation now with your kids? Like, have you gone into detail and at what age do you really share this story with them? I don't know when I first shared it with them, but I've always been very open about my Columbine experience. Cause I think we just need to be honest about things that have happened to us. And I also feel like it's not my identity, but it is a very formative piece of who I am and and the metal that I have as a person and some of my toughness and strength, I think, comes from being at Columbine, but also some of my empathy 
comes from being at Columbine and going through hard times and realizing, hey, other people go through hard times. How can we help them, you know? And so I, I share that story with them. They know it by heart. They could be like, hey, Dad, why didn't you tell them about this part of the story this time? Mm, you we know? should I have mean, them on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, You can. <laughs> uh, they'd be like, Dad, because like, we haven't like really gotten into the details. Sometimes I'd go mm-hmm. in and they'd be like, Dad, what about this? What about that? You know, they, they, they know the story well. Um, but I think they've learned a lot from it. You know, they see like, hey, guess what? Life's hard. And I'm, my daughter has whined about some things before that were like, that's not that big a deal. And I'm like, hey, dude, could you imagine me as a 15-year-old and what I had to deal with? Like, get over this crap. <laughs> um, well, it just puts things in perspective. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even you talking today, just, you know, whatever is going on in my life right now seems so insignificant mm-hmm. to the story that's been said. And yes, those things do matter, but I, I, I'm going to try after learning and listening to the story, I need to do a better job at focusing on, okay, these, the, these are the things that actually matter. Family, friends, yeah, people, relationships, people, people yeah. and focus on what you're grateful for. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that perspective. Do your kids have any trepidation about going to school? Like has this no, scared them in any way? No, they don't. Um, but also I think you can live out of fear or you can live out of like looking for the good, mm-hmm. you know, and just be like, I have hope. I live with hope versus fear, you know, and I have chosen to just like not let my fear paralyze me. And I know people, I have like friends that are, I feel like are paralyzed to an extent by their fear. And it's a sad place to be, you know, and I think they don't physically have control over it sometimes, you know, but I try to live my life in a way that's like, Hey, optimism that, Hey, good things are going to happen to us. Mm-hmm. No, bad things can absolutely happen. And you just have to be ready for those and deal with them. And you talked a little bit about your bad things. I don't think they're insignificant. You know, everyone has those challenges in your life, whether they seem small or, or big or not or whatever, like they're significant to you. And so like, You have to give yourself that like, hey, I'm going through something, you know, but then know that you can push through it. Um, But yeah, I think living with hope Mm -hmm. uh, for good good days, like how do you wake up in the morning if you're not like, no, something's good is going to happen today. Yeah. Or if something bad happens, I'll be okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll be able to get through. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What message would you like to convey to people who may not fully understand the impact of such a tragic event on survivors like yourself? Well, if you don't understand <laughs> yeah. how that could be impactful, then you're crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think the biggest thing with that is like, yeah, our whole lives got shaken up. I mean, nothing was the same than it was the day before. Just we didn't go to school anymore for a while. We came back and we saw when we had school and it was totally different. We didn't go to the same building um, We had friends that died, all of us. Like, I don't think there's like they, they took kids from every grade Every like social group, every, you know, whether it was somebody who was like, I mean, it was so crazy. It was someone who was, uh, you know, a couple of special needs kids, people that were like kind of like in the nerdy smart group, kind of like the preppy, like student body group, athletes. It was everything, you know, so there was nobody who was like untouched by it. It was so crazy how random it was. Um, But I, I think the learning thing is just like. Go, go live, make the best life that you can. And if we're all good to each other, like life is sweet, 
And when it gets to a point where people are reacting and treating each other like in that column and situation with those guys, it's like the damage was self-inflicted in our school. They did that to us, you know? And so how can we just, instead of having anger and hate, mend with like love and kindness? And I feel like our, our community did that. Like we were good to each other. And I feel like my life is that way now where it's like, hey, and like I don't want to sound self-righteous here i'm a bad person all the time <laughs> you know i do like negative things you're a human but yeah. i try to like live with like hey can we be good to each other and, and when we are like life is really wonderful yeah so is your is your biggest takeaway from this like there is hope there is hope life if is you great choose to see it life yeah. is great there is so much goodness out there for you and so it's like what do you want to find or do you want to find nothing? Do you want to hide and kind of like be in your home and, and not experience uh, joy, you know? But I think, yeah, like you get what you put out there, you know? So if you're out there looking for hope and being good to other people, like they'll return that kindness back to you. Um, I have a friend named Mike, uh, Mike McFarland, and he's a friend that puts out goodness to me and I put out goodness to him. And it's just been a, a great friendship over the years. And I think about other friends that I have where I'm like, I've just been kind having people over for dinner or doing stuff or favors or service for people. And then it just, it just gets paid back to you so many times. And I feel like my life is super rich right now because of the just different friendships and kindnesses and, and, and love that exists um, amongst our family and amongst our friends. And that's why I feel like I have, we have great joy, you know? Yeah. I think that's a great message to end on. Yeah, I appreciate that message. And you're doing exactly what you're preaching, yeah, by the way. And we really appreciate you sharing the story. We know it's personal, mm -hmm. um, but I think there's so much that can be learned from it and just having that perspective on, on life. I did want to just read a list of those who did no, lose, their, lose their lives that, that day. Mm -hmm. And Do you want to read it? Is that no, you I'd might know so. how to I'd pronounce it? I'd love to. Okay, yeah, okay. To me. okay. Uh, Cassie Bernal, Steve Kernow. Corey DePooter, Kelly Fleming, Matt Kector, Daniel Mauser, Danny Rohrbach, Dave Sanders, Rachel Scott, Isaiah Scholes, John Tomlin, Lauren Townsend, Kyle Velasquez. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And to our listeners... I think what we can do moving forward is just take what we've learned from Will and try and keep these the memory alive of these victims. 